You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. We gotta live on science The Virginia Department of Health reminds you to get your HPV and meningitis vaccines. Protect yourself and your loved ones. To learn more, visit vahealthy.org. That's V-A-H-E-A-L-T-H-Y dot org. Welcome to Unbiased Science, where we bring scientific method to the madness. We're your hosts, Dr. Jessica Steyer and Dr. Andrea Love. And today we are welcoming a very special guest who we'll introduce in just one second to to tackle the topic of vaginal health, which is rife with myths and misconceptions and so much misinformation. So we're really excited about today's episode. But before we uh, dive into that, topic, let's recap last week's episode, which tackled clean beauty myths. So on that episode, we welcome Dr. Renella Hirsch, who's a board-certified dermatologist and expert in the field of cosmetic and laser dermatology, and we talked about the term clean beauty. So we kicked things off with a discussion of the business of clean beauty, because it is a booming industry, and we discussed the lack of a standardized definition of clean and how it's often vague and nondescript. We went on to debunk debunk some common myths, including that clean beauty products are chemical-free, that they're all natural and better than synthetic products, and that they're safer because they do not contain preservatives. We spent some time talking about the environmental impact of natural, and I'm using uh, air quotes here, natural and clean products and their sustainability. Um, If you did not tune into that episode, we highly recommend it, and we will be doing um, a follow-up episode where we dig even deeper into the science of um, cosmetics and quote-unquote clean beauty. So um, one more thing we wanted to announce before we tackle today's topic, a very exciting announcement. Unbiased Science is now on Substack. Substack is an incredibly user-friendly platform that we are using to push out even more unbiased science content. So why Substack? For starters, you can see and return to our content reliably. There will be no more sudden disappearance of our account or content due to shadow bans or people wrongly flagging our posts as misinformation, which is quite frustrating for us. Um, Two, you can count on us to summarize breaking news more quickly since we could disseminate content in formats other than infographics, which take us several hours, if not days, to create. Three, we can really get into the nitty-gritty details since there are no character count limits and we're not limited to a certain number of um, slides per post. And finally, we can share hyperlinked sources, images, and graphics beyond what we're able to share on Instagram and other platforms. Um, So we will link to our Substack. We'll give you information on how to sign up. It's all over our social media pages. Um, The subscription starts at, uh, well, it's $5 a month, which is actually the lowest that we could set on Substack, and we're really putting a lot of time and effort into content there. Um, It'll also grant you access to our private Facebook group, which gives you a direct line to me and to Andrea. Um, You'll get merch discount codes. You'll have access to our live monthly Q&A sessions and lots more. Um, Most importantly, you'll be supporting our efforts, um, which we would really appreciate. So please do check it out and please consider signing up for a paid subscription. So without any further ado, we'd love to introduce our amazing guest for today, Dr. Jennifer Lincoln. Dr. Jennifer Lincoln is an OBGYN, author, educator, science communicator, and much more. She's an OB hospitalist, which is an obstetrician whose sole focus is caring for pregnant and postpartum people in the hospital, as well as a lactation consultant. I really could have used your help um, (laughs) after both of my births. Um, Since 2013, 
2013, Dr. Lincoln has been the medical director of pregnancy content for Bundu, a pregnancy and parenting website where all content is written or reviewed by medical experts. She's also medical advisor for the Wellness Network, reviewing their content and writing evidence-based articles. She's also on the medical board at Flow Health, which is the number one women's health app, providing OBGYN content. In September of 2021, she published her first book, Let's Talk About Down There. That's such an amazing title. She is a community of 2.6 million followers on TikTok, as well as a large following on YouTube and Instagram. She uses social media to educate and bust the many myths surrounding vaginal and reproductive health. You can find her on Instagram at Dr. Jennifer Lincoln. Uh, Andrea, um, I think I you also, made another. <laughs> I also want to add, um, she's amazing. I want to be best friends with her. But she's <laughs> also going to be presenting a session at the ACOG conference. So ACOG is the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists on social media and how it can be used to spread misinformation and or credible information, which is right up all of our alley. So I'm really excited to hear more about that. Um, thank you, Jen, for joining us and being willing to impart all of your wisdom and expertise on this topic that unfortunately is rife with misconceptions. Thank you so much for having me. I just want to say that I love you both. Like when it comes to social media, sometimes it sucks. Let's be real. But through this pandemic, your account has been my bright spot because I know if I'm like, wait, I need an update on this, I go and I scroll your content and I see evidence and references and I just, I'm just so thankful for the work you put in. And I know it's not easy. There's a lot of trolls out there, but you've got a lot of fans out there, I promise. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's a total love fest. We are obsessed with you. Um, so, so speaking of social media, um, I scroll TikTok and I cannot get over the myths that are rampant on, on there. I mean, obviously every mm -hmm. platform, but on TikTok, the latest things that I came across, and I'm sure you've, you've come across even more, but putting moisturizing melts in the vagina, putting ice cubes in the vagina to make them tighter and also to stave off bacterial growth, um, taking a shot of lemon juice to delay the onset of, of our uh, menstrual cycle and much more. Um, so is there a particular myth uh, that's been circulating lately, Jen, that oh, <laughs> particularly bothersome yeah. to you? <laughs> I just, yeah, I just, I see these and I think no one's going to believe it, right? And then you look at the, the view count and the share count and you go, oh my God, like if it was that easy, wouldn't we all just be taking shots of lemon juice? Um, yeah, I would say the, the one that's, that's bothering me most recently, and um, it's not so much like a like do this and then that kind of thing, but it was this tweet that went viral maybe a week or two now ago about, you know, isn't it just interesting that an entire generation of people on birth control now are struggling with infertility, PCOS, depression, and I can't, oh, I, I can't remember the other one, um, basically suggesting causation. Um, and oh, this just, I saw that yeah, tweet. Mm -hmm. That will also be featured in my ACOG talk. Um, and when you dive into it more, you see that the author is not a, not a scientist, um, is a COVID conspiracy theorist, is transphobic, um, you know. But but hey, it you know it was a cool tweet. It went viral, and so now everybody thinks it's true. Um, so it's undoing well, that. It's yeah, it's just undoing all of the you know the work of that, which is it's just so fun. It's like a people constantly dumping garbage. And I'm like driving the garbage truck and trying to clean it up, but you know, doing the best we can. <laughs> right, and, <laughs> and you know, and obviously this isn't unique to to you know vaginal health. It's not unique to women's health. It's you know we know that misinformation spreads at least six times faster than credible data. And so once the horse is out of the barn, it it takes forever to to clean it back up to get the horse back in the barn or whatever the phrase is. And um, it's it's really exhausting. And so you know, I think that this is particularly timely that we're going to tackle a lot of this, you know, material about the vag the vaginal health, you know, industry or what's real and what's what's just being peddled um, without any data behind it. Yep, totally. All right. So why don't we, you know, obviously, you know, maybe we'll talk a little bit about that, but obviously there's a huge market for vaginal health and vaginal cl cleaning products. Ultimately, a lot of this preys on women, women's health misinformation. We know that there is disparity in terms of um, gender-related health research. 
I think now we're we're moving in a direction where we are starting to appreciate and understand nuance and differences in physiology. Um, of course, it also preys on the pink tax, where you know women branded products are upcharged. Um, but ultimately, it also preys on our insecurities, right? A lot of these things are geared towards making us look nicer down there or smell better down there, and all of this. And none of it is really based in science. Um, so maybe we should just kind of set the stage and give people like a quick anatomy rundown if you want to walk us through that, Jen, because of course there are even misconceptions about the different parts, you know, of of our anatomy. No, absolutely. And just to go back to what you said about kind of this whole, you know, the pink tax and, and, and the idea that, you know, we're full of shame, this really is based in purity culture, which if you haven't heard that term before, it is the idea that we want to see women And throughout this, we'll be saying women, but we're referring to anybody assigned female at birth. You know, this idea that they are supposed to be clean and pure and virginal and prepubescent. That's sort of like the ideal, right? And then if you have sex or if you even think about sex and God forbid you masturbate before marriage or anything like that, you're going to hell and you're going to die. And, you know, and everything's supposed to be clean and smell like fruits. And so this just gets passed down and and spread throughout every market out there when it comes to feminine hygiene and all the stuff we're going to talk about today. So so it's really fun. And it's a great way for not just the patriarchy to sort of keep women in their place. But what's even more fun is when you see other women and, quote unquote, these women owned companies that are somehow supposed to be better perpetuating the same myths. And it just makes me want to throw up even more. So it's fun. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so anatomy, I think it's so important because it's you never get really taught it. You're just told to you're going to have a period and and don't die or have sex and that's it. And, you know, end of discussion because we do not do medically accurate, comprehensive sex ed well in this country. And so it's just important to know the vagina is what's inside. That's it. Like we always talk about, you know, can you see your vagina? And and this product is, you know, it's for the outer vagina, which is something that Vagisil has loved to use when selling their products. There is no outer vagina. That's called your vulva or your labia. So what's outside is the vulva or the labia. What's inside is the vagina. Um, You think it would be simple, but we feel like these are shameful things that we can't teach kids about because we might accidentally teach them about the clitoris. And then, you know, they're just going to start having sex all the time. And that's a whole can of worms, right? (laughs) Exactly. It's like when we talked about the HPV vaccine and everybody's like, oh, well, that's that's condoning sex. And actually it's. Yeah. No, I mean, they're going to do it either way. Right. And now you have a vaccine that can prevent cancer. Exactly. So. And we actually have the data to show that's not true. But that people wonder why that vaccine is so villainized. It's because it might be linked with sex. And we just don't want to we don't want to talk about that. Right. That's just too scary. <laughs> All right. So the vagina is the inside. Um, everybody out there who didn't know that. Um, so let's talk about what's real and what's not. And I think the most common myth or misconception is that we need to be cleaning our vagina with douches, with other sorts of things. I heard about a new thing called vaginal steaming that I'd love to hear more about. Um, and I'm just going to, I'm going to I'm going to use my little one one line, you know, spiel before I hand it over to you, Jen. But the vagina is a self-cleaning organ. Um, and, and, you know, please feel free to take that away. Yeah, no. <laughs> and elaborate. So we gynecologists tend to call it a self-cleaning oven. I don't know why, but, I mean, I'm not really that, like, I don't clean ovens a lot. So any, I don't know, whatever. But, yes, you don't have to do anything to it. It literally takes care of itself. But... People who make douches and those products, they don't want you to think that. So, again, we're talking about the Vagisil, the Summer's Eve, the Massingale. And this goes back to, you know, it's so fun to, like, look at old ads for douches, like, in the 1950s and 60s. And if you Google, if you put in Lysol douche, and yes, I said Lysol. No. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Oh, God. I'm horrified. And you haven't even I haven't even. I haven't even is. told you why. Yes, exactly. So this idea, okay. the ads were made um, and you, they're the typical, you know, white female, white husband. And the, the captions are like, why do you think your husband is being so frigid? It's because you haven't, you're not fresh down there or you need to use a douche. And it was Lysol douches with this idea that like, because our vaginas might smell like vaginas, our husbands might not want to have sex with us. And there was definitely an undercurrent of people were using these douches 
as a way to prevent pregnancy in the pre-birth control era or in the pre- Oh my gosh, I just Googled it. Yeah, and isn't it just- I found um, this Smithsonian article about it. (laughs) Yeah, it is. horrifying. It's horrifying. And you think, well, okay, well, at least we're not douching with Lysol anymore. True. Although in some cultures, there's still this usage. But- the idea that you need to do anything, even a water douche is no good for your vagina because it disrupts the, the delicate balance of the, the vaginal pH. And I don't want to say delicate in like a feminine way, but just in a like, just leave it alone. It takes care of itself because the discharge that comes out, that is your body's way of getting rid of old cells and endometrial lining. And, you know, that's what that mucus is, that, that discharge. It's totally normal. So, Jen, you know, the the vagina compartment, obviously, it, it has a variety of different components, right? It has skin, you know, epithelial cells. It has a mucous membrane. It has, you know, a delicate pH balance, as you mentioned, is not something that's you know, fragile, it's it's something that's tightly regulated and actually related to the buffer post that we posted earlier today. But, you know, that, that pH balance is critical to ensuring that your vagina is performing as it's supposed to be. And those are things like controlling infections, yeast infections, bacterial infections, ensuring that, you know, all of the intricate compo- components of the reproductive tract are functioning normally. And that mucus also plays a very critical role. Um, so, you know, the point you're making that you don't even need to wash up there, in there, with regular water um, because the, the mucus will slough off anything bad and flush out anything bad that would need to get cleaned out of the vagina. Exactly, yep, because the good bacteria that live in there, um, most of it's lactobacillus, and they make lactic acid, which keeps that vaginal pH where it should be. And it's important to be there because if you don't, then other types of bacteria can take over and that's where you might get predisposed to bacterial vaginosis or yeast infections. But we live in a culture of do more, right? You have to do more, do this, like you need to constantly be doing more things and and you don't. And sometimes it's hard for us to realize that less is more, but it's even more hard when you have companies that put out ads that tell you that you smell or Summer's Eve puts out an puts out an ad where it shows a woman in the shower and they say the elephant in the room and there's like an actual elephant like talking about feminine hygiene and you know vaginal smell and it is so degrading like it's just terrible and you think of young people especially who are already feeling ashamed of themselves exactly mm-hmm. self-conscious and then that just perpetuates but they do it because why they make money off of it like it's it's a no-brainer but you know so jen you're you're talking about something this is this is actually what i wanted to jump in and emphasize here because you know we we likely have some listeners who maybe use some of these products and we're not shaming you we just want to be clear you know this is not intended to, to mock you or shame you what we, our frustration really lies with these companies that are using these marketing tactics um, to to basically trick you in, into thinking that this is something that you need or, or should be using so that's where our frustration lies we often get a lot of pushback on on episodes like these that do these debunks of Things that are, you know, this is an industry that, that we just want to remind you guys. There's a, you, we always say follow the money, right? This is an industry. People are making money off of this, and so again, this is not intended to shame you. We're we're trying to raise awareness and educate you all so that you realize that you know this is really not something that you should be spending your money on, and actually, it could actually harm you. Yep. And I say um, to people, there's no shame in having fallen for it because that was the point. That's why the marketing. Trust me, they've tested it and they want you to fall for That's it. That's why and they make the big bucks, right? Exactly. There's no shame. And then once you know better, you can be like, oh, I don't need this. And I've had a lot of people who've said, well, I want to, you know, I, I just like the summer's Eve, you know, I want to keep using it. And I say, listen, it is always your body, your choice. You use what you want to, you know, the risks, you know, the, if there's any benefits also keep in mind that you show your support with your dollars. And I always tell people there's lots of other things you could be using that are actually good for the vulva that do not, have that kind of marketing. So if you don't want to be complicit in that industry, here's some other things. But again, it's just about being informed when you're making your purchases. So obviously, you know, Jen, you you did a great job of setting the stage. Douches have obviously been around for decades and decades. And, you know, pre-contraception, there were 
very caustic douches that were used in an attempt to, you know, be used as birth control. Now the douches are really geared towards, you know, washing something that doesn't need to be washed. But now we have these other things that are being placed in the vagina or used in the vagina. So I'd love to talk a little bit about yoni eggs, also called jade eggs, and vaginal steaming. Um, And so first, yoni eggs have been purported or claimed to help correct hormonal imbalances, boost orgasm intensity, prevent uterine prolapse, and also regulate your periods. And from my understanding, this is basically just like an oval-shaped stone that is placed inside the vagina. Is that correct That's it. That's it. And when I had to explain that to my husband, he was like, that's what people are putting in their vaginas. And I said, yes, honey, that's that's what it is. Um, Yeah. And we can thank um, Gwyneth Paltrow for sort of like the resurgence of interest in this. This is not something that's new, but definitely she kind of brought it to the mainstream with um, when she was selling her jade egg on her website, Goop, which is every gynecologist, the bane of our existence. Um, But yeah. and, And what's interesting is that she has said and people have made this claim that this is a cultural practice that has happened, you know, for hundreds of thousands of years. And Dr. Jen Gunter, who's another amazing gynecologist and um, definitely an evidence-based person, actually dove into the research, and that's actually not true. That there's no, <laughs> there's no, um, you know, historical record of them being used in this way. And what bothers me is that, in addition to the things that you listed as reasons for use, it's other things like dealing with fertility issues, which we all know is a very difficult disease to conquer and time is of the essence. And if you are buying this product and using it and thinking you're doing yourself any help, you're not, and you're delaying actual treatment, you know, diagnosis and treatment. Um, and it, it just bothers me. It's just this, this idea that, you know, again, we have to do more. If you're having an issue with, you know, orgasms or your periods, like we can actually help with that. But this egg isn't going to do it. I've never heard of this. I'm Googling my head off. (laughs) It's a stone. Yeah, no, so it's it's a, it's a rock, basically. It's a, it's a polished rock. But but the other thing, I mean, the thing that's most cringeworthy to me as a microbiologist, of course, is that this is a porous material, right? And presumably people are placing this inside their vagina repeatedly over different periods of time. And so there's a sanitation issue there, right? So porous materials mean that bacteria, particularly bacteria that can thrive in the absence of oxygen, can get inside the stone, grow, colonize it, potentially form a biofilm, and then you place that stone in your vagina again. Now you're just ripe for infection. Um, exactly. This just, this just sounds like a microbiological nightmare to me. But you know what you could do? Then you then you could just douche, right? And so you see how we're like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's create problems. Cycle. Exactly. No, but you're absolutely right. Um, you are you're ten thousand percent right. So of course, there's no evidence behind using yoni eggs. They can certainly be dangerous. They're obviously not going to correct hormonal imbalances, boost orgasms. Um, help tighten the vagina mm-hmm. or any of the other claims. And of course, they have some potential real dangers associated with them. Um, and and so then the next, I guess the next fad that I heard about recently, and I'm, honestly, I need you to explain it to me, is vaginal steaming. What is this? What is it supposedly doing? What are the risks associated with this? Yeah, this is another one that I'm, I'm glad we're discussing. So the idea here is that you are boiling water, putting a mix of herbs and things in it, and then you are sitting over it. So you might sit like over a stool um, that has like a hole cut out of it. And the idea is that the steam is going up into the vagina and the uterus. And the claims that are made by, by companies or places that do this is that it helps to, again, cleanse the uterus, cleanse the vagina, hormonal balancing, um, Some of the more extreme claims that I've seen is that it will help to get rid of the toxins of your uterus, especially related to past partners. It will help with anxiety and depression. It will help with fibroids, painful periods, infertility, basically everything that somebody could have an issue with in that region, this is, you know, claimed to to help with. And so they should do this rather than seeking actual medical care to to address whatever issue it is that they're dealing with. And there is is definitely a cultural component to this as well. So I've seen in some cultures where people will will do this after childbirth, for example. Um, and, 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 And as you might not be surprised to hear, 
this does not work for, you know, sitting over a pot of hot water is not going to suddenly make you ovulate or somehow detox the uterus, which again, I don't know what that means. Um, and there's real opportunity for harm. There have been people who've gone to the emergency room because they've, you know, gotten burns on their skin because of, of contact with the water. Um, and again, it's one of those things where it's, it's a market that's supposedly curing something that it has no data to support that. This is, I mean, this is, I think the most frustrating part is, you know, obviously all of our organ systems are incredibly complex. You know, how hormones regulate all of our reproductive processes is a topic for a whole other podcast because it's exceedingly complex and it involves multiple different mm -hmm. um, endocrine glands and, and reproductive organs and all sorts of stuff. But it's, it's, it's so disheartening to, to me to see that you know, these sorts of companies or these sorts of organizations that promote these things, you know, essentially prey on, you know, medical issues, right? Infertility, someone struggling with infertility, I imagine it's traumatic and debilitating and and frightening. And, and you know, and then they hear the story of, you know, well, all you need to do is steam your vagina and it'll be okay. It's just, it's, it's very, very disheartening to hear. Um, it is. And I think a lot of this comes out of that we know, we have the studies to show that women are not always taken seriously at the doctor, that their pain is undertreated, that they have delayed in diagnoses that if they were men would not happen. So I do think a lot of like everything we're talking about today, a lot of it comes from that. And it is this, you know, vacuum that's left where people are saying, well, nobody's listening to me. So at least you are, at least you are acknowledging that I have this issue. So I see why, you know, these sorts of things pop up and they gain traction. However, it doesn't mean that they're the right answer. It means that we need to be doing better in our you know, traditional medical fields to, to actually listen to people and to not lower the bar when it comes to treating female problems because you know, we're like, well, yay, at least you're, you know, it, it, it's cultural or it's that you know, um, women's issues are ignored and this is a woman's owned company, so we should support it. No, we still have to have the same standards. Yeah, it's, it's such a great point, Jen. So I think, you know, big takeaway from here is you do not need to clean your vagina. You do not need to put a yoni egg in it. You do not need to steam it. You have all of these incredible processes in your vagina to begin with that's going to make sure that it stays clean and healthy and functioning the way it's supposed to be. This kind of brings, I think this brings us to our, to the next myth uh, that we'd love for you to weigh in on here, uh, Jen. So uh, discharge, then uh, this idea that, that discharge is abnormal or it's gross or it's a bad thing. And obviously, you know, we know people have discharge at all ages, right? From puberty to menopause, and it's impacted by a bunch of different things like where you're at in your cycle. Um, and it's it's not a bad thing. It could be different colors. I mean, there are certain, you know, red flags, right, for when you should seek medical care. Um, so can you talk to us a little bit about discharge? Yeah, uh, and I get asked this yeah. all the time. It doesn't matter how many times I cover it on social media. I still get these messages, and it's why I included it in my book in two separate questions. The first one, which was... Um, you know, how do I decrease my amount? How do I decrease my discharge? And, you know, is my discharge normal or not? And really starting with the, if you think you need to de decrease your discharge, why do you think that? Because it is normal. And so I go through the steps of like exactly what you said that like we've called the vagina a self-cleaning oven, what comes out, the mucus, the cells, all those things that is your body's way of keeping itself clean. I guess we can call it like a natural de detox. Maybe that is what we should reframe it as. And then it would be accepted. Um, <laughs> But that's yeah, clever. I, you know, see there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> like, I got a patent pending. Can you be can, ex that's exactly what I was just going to say. <laughs> but it's true. And so it's normal to tell people that depending on your cycle, you know, you can have up to a teaspoon of discharge. And if you put that and you put that on your underwear or on a liner, that seems like a lot, but it's totally normal. It can fluctuate in your cycle based on your hormones and where you're at. And I tell people it's okay if your discharge kind of smells like a like a vagina, because that's what it, it's supposed to, you know, clear to white to sometimes even a light yellow can be normal. But at any time, if you're concerned, you don't think it's normal, come on in and we can check you out to see if there is an infection. And absolutely we should rather than you self-diagnosing and self-treating, because we have studies to show that even people like myself who are, you know, trained, we're really bad at self-diagnosis when it comes to, to vaginal infections. Um, so this idea that you need to decrease it you know, to be nothing or, you know, 
it, it, it's, it's actually, it's a sign that your vagina is well estrogenized and, and it's just, it's, it's okay. You just talked about, you know, mucus itself and, and, you know, colors and volume of discharge. Let's talk a little bit about the odor because, of course, I think all of us as women have heard about, you know, we're supposed to eat pineapple and other sweet fruits to improve the smell of our discharge. And first of all, you know, does that even work? And second of all, why does that even matter, right? If it's supposed to smell like a vagina, you know, why do we care? Yeah. So it doesn't work. Like there's the there's the quick answer there. Um, and when I had my illustrator doing illustrations for my book, and she's going through the list, and she's like, Jen, why do I need to draw a pineapple? And I was like, Charlotte, this will all make sense. It will all make sense. I said, I need you to draw a pineapple, a clove of garlic, and she was like, Okay, I can do that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so it doesn't work and there's this idea and that's a whole thing on TikTok about these smoothies and these things that you can drink to like change the way you taste. But also what I put in my book and what I put on a million social media posts and I still get asked, I, I step back and say, why do you think you need to do this? Because you are, maybe you've been made to feel by a partner that you don't smell or taste right. And to that I say, you know, short of you having an actual infection, um, if they have a problem with that, then maybe they shouldn't be invited to that party anymore because you're not a pina colada. And so, like, <laughs> give me a break. Um, and I had a lot of people who were like, oh, but I just I, I was made to feel that way. Well, of course you were when Summer's Eve makes these cleansers that are called like morning sunset or whatever. Of course you are. So it's about reestablishing what's the actual expectation of your vagina. And it's not to be a pina colada. I love that. Um that's going to be like my mantra mm -hmm. for the foreseeable future. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So, so you know, obviously a lot of this is preying on, you know, fear insecurities of women. And so another recent trend that has popped up are these vaginal detox pearls. And we, Jess and myself, actually heard about this from our executive producer, Montana, because she had someone she knew on Facebook that had posted some pictures of what it looked like. So I'm going to try and summarize it, but I'm, then I'm going to hand it over to you. So these detox pearls are basically circular, you know, they're, they're, they're balls, marbles, I think, essentially. And, and you're supposed to insert them into your vagina with an applicator. Um, you let it sit there for 24 hours. You remove the first one. You insert a second one. You leave that one in for 48 hours. Then you remove the second one. You wait several more days. And then apparently you're supposed to have some sort of detoxing process. They call it purging, where dead cells, mucus, yeast, blood clots, and other things are expelled from your vagina. And it supposedly detoxes you and cleans you all up. And and it's important to understand that this is a supplement, essentially. So it's not regulated by the FDA for safety or efficacy. Um, and so they also don't need to publish all of the ingredients. But according to what you can find on the website, it includes a variety of herbs. Um, some are in the mint family. One is a, a flowering plant. Another one's in a shrub family. There's one that's also in the teak family. So there's this you know, appeal to nature fallacy, right? You're using these herbal pearls that you put inside your vagina and all of these herbal remedies are going to detox and, and clean it. And I think, of course, first, we've already established you don't need to clean your vagina. Um, but but these pictures of what comes out of your vagina, um, it's they're kind of horrific. I mean, there's, there's slough, you know, there's skin that's been sloughed off, there's mucus. And as you mentioned, of course, 
we we have mucus in there, but I assume expelling too much mucus is probably a not not a good thing. So um, did I get that right? Can you add to this a little bit? No, um, you sure did. And if, if you are listening and you've never heard of these things and you Google it, just be prepared for the images that come up. Um, so maybe, you know, don't do it like in a completely public place. But yeah, so what people do is they use these pearls and then they, a lot of them take pictures of what comes out with the idea that, see, this was in there and it came out. So that's why it worked. The actual truth is that this is your body saying, holy crap, I'm on fire. Like, let me get this garbage out of me. It's an inflammatory response. It's just like if you've ever had an infected cut and you see all that, what we call purulence, that pus, that it's all inflammatory cells. It's your body sending white blood cells and trying to say, we need to fight this. This is terrible. That's what's coming out. And if you, you know, know anything about putting things in the vagina, just think about tampons and what do we say? Don't leave that in for longer than eight hours because of the risk of toxic shock syndrome, which it could be deadly. Thankfully is extremely rare when tampons are used safely. So why is it okay that we're leaving these things in that um, have a ton of stuff in there for a ridiculously long amount of time? That's why this stuff is coming out. And I would just like to, to make it clear that these pearls, you, it might sound familiar, that they're used to detox the uterus, cure infertility, you know, cleanse hormonal balance, like all the same, it's all the same claims over and over and over again with absolutely no data, absolutely evidence of harm. And there have been lawsuits against these products, but you can look it up on Amazon right now and you would be able to buy them. Um, and it's just, it's an ongoing myth. And it's, again, when I, when I point these things out, people say, well, you're just, it, you don't like it because it's natural. No, I, I do like natural things. I love natural, yeah. like honey. Honey, we know, is actually natural. Honey's it works delicious. for coughs. <laughs> Other things that are natural, like, you know, COVID and cancer and arsenic are not great. So natural doesn't <laughs> right. always mean good. Oh, preach. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, you know, you made, the, you made the analogy to tampons, right? But tampons are actually regulated, right? right? There's a lot of mm -hmm. stringency. I think they're classified technically as a medical device are, or something yes. similar. So. They have to prove that there's not contamination in the material being used in the tampon, that they're, you know, the risk of infection as a result of tampon usage is exceedingly rare, as you just noted. But these sorts of things that people are freely putting up their vaginas have no regulation at all. And as you just mentioned, have evidence of harm. And, you know, people, you know, this inflammatory response, right, it's not just it's not just temporary pain, right? You're sloughing off skin in your vagina, which is the first line of defense in our immune system, right? The skin and our mucous membranes. So if you're irritating your skin inside your vagina to the point where it's now tearing and, and coming out of your vagina, that is, you know, a huge risk of infection, huge risk of complications. I mean, potentially, I would imagine that there could be risks for other higher reproductive infections, things like PID and potential infertility if if you use some of these things frequently enough. Yeah, no, I mean, we know, for example, um, and I know we'll probably talk about this later, but when it comes to like hair removal, anytime you're doing more we know that you're putting yourself at increased risk, not only of skin infections and infection of, you know, related to the trauma of the site, but sexually transmitted infections because you've decreased a barrier. You've decreased the mucosal barrier. You've decreased the, you know, the discharge that really does help to protect things from getting up into the uterus and the fallopian tube. So it's not benign just because it's natural. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Great point. That's and as you theme. mentioned, you <laughs> <laughs> right. to nature. Yeah. Every, every nature doesn't episodes. mean better, doesn't mean right. safer, doesn't right. mean healthier. We've we've advanced our scientific understanding that we can do things synthetically that are safer, better, faster, efficient, you know, all of these sorts of things. Um, so, so yeah, there have been lawsuits. This particular company, actually, the, the most recent lawsuit was about them making these false, you know, claims that their detox pearls could cure infertility. And as you mentioned, there's, there's no evidence to support that no, claim. No, definitely not. And that's so predatory. It's so predatory. And you'll see this with all of the detoxes and the supplements out there is they know the market. They know that people who have miscarriages, infertility, pain with sex, um, depression, anxiety, those are the people who will, and I get it, they're so desperate for help, they're the ones who are more likely to buy these products, and it's it's disgusting. All right, Jess, I'm handing it over to you for your TikTok. Okay, God, I was like, any more on discharge? I'm ready to move on to the, to the next myth. I am, oh my God, I feel like we could talk for days. Oh, yeah. I have so many questions for you. 
Um, okay, so a few things, but I, um, so I'm being, I guess, I don't know why, targeted with all these ads for vaginal probiotics and, and different, you know, things that we can stick up into our vagina and pills that we should be taking. Um, I've also simultaneously found that I've, I've stumbled upon bacterial vaginosis TikTok, um, which, you know, again, all kinds of myths there about uh, probiotics and eating certain foods, which can prevent and treat BV. So can we just dive into, you know, do we need vaginal probiotics first and foremost, and then maybe just a brief discussion on, you know, what is BV and, and what do you do if you think, suspect you have it? Yeah. So vaginal probiotics, those are one of those things that I, I tell people, the vast majority of us do not need any. And we are not yet at a good place where we could say, um, yes, absolutely, vaginal probiotics will help you. So there's ongoing research, and I think that we will continue to learn more and, we, and we'll get more data and we'll make this a bit more exciting. But there is some research to show that there's a specific strain of lactobacillus called lactobacillus crispatus that can potentially help people who are prone to like recurrent BV infections, recurrent yeast infections. It really is important to note that it's very strain specific because you'll see people out there who say, well, we should eat yogurt or you put yogurt in your vagina and that helps. And that, that it doesn't work that way because the lactobacillus that's in your vagina is a very specific kind of lactobacillus. It's not necessarily what you see in your Chobani yogurt or whatever. We actually talked about that same phenomenon in our probiotics episode where a lot of places that sell probiotic supplements or yogurts or things like that, they are selling what they're easily able to grow in their lab and not not the ones that actually live in the various compartments in our body that we would actually want to repopulate. So I think it's super important to keep that in mind. Yeah, absolutely. And so the study that's out there about lactobacillus crispatus, um, it's, it's exciting. It's also very small and larger studies that, you know, we can't consolidate them and compare them all to each other based on different methodology, how they've done the study, the amount, um, whether or not other antibiotics were used. So the long and the short of it is that there's probably a subset of people who will benefit from vaginal probiotics, not oral. Um, but it's important that if you think that that might be you, to make sure first you've got the right diagnosis, that you're working ideally with a vulvovaginal specialist who's really smart in this exact area, and that you're being monitored. So what I'm saying is that you're not just buying whatever probiotics out there or that the store is marketing to you, and you're using whenever, however, because you think that that's what you're supposed to do in order to have a healthy vagina. And that sort of piggybacks into what even is bacterial vaginosis? Because I have been on that, I, I'm part of the bacterial vaginosis TikTok world as well. And there's a lot of misinformation out there and just misunderstanding. Again, not making fun of anybody who doesn't understand it because we're never taught it. But the skinny on BV is that it's not an STI, that it is not one infection like, you know, a yeast infection or chlamydia. It is when basically the bad bacteria take over, the good bacteria kind of get... Um, beaten down and the bad bacteria take over. So um, oftentimes it can be due to Gardnerella, but there's other strains as well. And so in order to treat it, it's about replacing, replenishing that balance. So getting rid of the bad ones and helping your vagina to sort of rebalance itself. Um, if you're on BV TikTok, then you have definitely seen all the stuff about boric acid, which so many people out there, oh yeah, that just boric acid fixes it all. And um, I am excited, I'm happy that boric acid is now more easily purchased because back in my day in residency, you had to write a prescription for a compounding pharmacy to make boric acid, or you could tell your patients how to do it. And they tended to get a little freaked out when you told them to go buy the boric acid rat poison, because that's what was going to go in their vagina, because that's what it is. Um, but the idea here... Yeah, and I think I think boric acid is also used as an ant killer. Oh, yeah, is yeah, right? totally. I mean, all sorts of crazy things, because, it, I mean, it's an acid. It, it's a weak acid, but the role of it is that it breaks breaks down a biofilm, which is what you mentioned earlier. Um, and so there are definitely there. I mean, you can look up, just look up CDC protocol, you know, boric acid, recurrent BV and whatnot. And you'll see that it is there is some evidence to show that it works in a very tiny subset of people with BV. So those who've got recurrent or resistant and it's not to be used alone. You also have to use it with the antibacterial medication to kill it. That that it's really thinking. Think of BV or sorry, think of boric acid as 
it breaks down the biofilm and lets the medicines in. So just breaking down that biofilm isn't going to do anything. But you look at these companies like Love Wellness and Honey Pot and all of them, and they make it sound like you should use their boric acid if it's a random Thursday and your vagina itched once or after sex or whatever. Um, and there's a lot of misunderstanding about what it what it is and what it isn't. And so, Jen, can, can you just brief, briefly maybe, I'm sorry, Andrea, just, just like brief, briefly um, tell folks like what are some of the telltale signs of BV? Like there's a certain odor or discharge. When might you want to call your gynecologist? Yeah. So typically <laughs> the symptoms of bacterial vaginosis are an increased discharge that might be gray or um you know, kind of yellowish, maybe even greenish, but we typically see kind of that gray discharge and it has a fishy odor. So more than like the normal, like, oh, your vagina, you know, kind of has an odor. Um, and it may be associated with some burning or itching, although sometimes that's more what we see more with the yeast infection. Um, and we can diagnose you in the office and get, you know, get you an actual diagnosis before you kind of self-diagnose, self-treat, and then you may be actually treating the wrong thing. That is helpful. And so some of the, the, the potential treatments are just, again, are these things that will require, require a prescription? So if you suspect you have BV, you should not just, you know, listen to your TikTok, um, people and actually go seek some, some medical help Correct. <laughs> to confirm that that's mm -hmm. what you have. And okay. Yep. All right. Um, Andrew, were you going to say something? I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Oh, I was just going to say, um, you know, for our listeners who maybe aren't super familiar with what a biofilm is, it's basically, you know, when a particular population of bacteria form almost like an impenetrable barrier. So obviously the vagina has this microbiome in it that's different from like the microbiome in our gut and our mouth and things like that. But um, you know, as Jen was saying, when a certain species kind of overgrows the the good, the normal ones, they can form these these almost impenetrable barriers. So the boric acid she was mentioning kind of break down that impenetrable barrier, and then the antibiotics you would take would then be able to get in between the different cells and kill off that bad bacteria, um, which ultimately would be, you know, why you would need to use them in combination with each other after getting officially diagnosed with a condition. Exactly. Yep. So obviously there are other there are other infections there. Can we can we quickly talk about, you know, maybe yeast infections and really what differentiates them from say a BV situation? Obviously yeast are are fungal you know, fungal pathogens. Um, we, we normally have yeast that live in our vagina um, and kind of maintain homeostasis. So what sort of happens when we actually get a yeast infection? Yeah, so it's a similar thing where it's totally normal and healthy to have a little bit of yeast in your vagina. Um, but a yeast infection is where, just like with BV, it takes over and there's just too much of it. And the typical symptoms of that can be really that itching. Um, if it's really severe, you might even notice some redness or swelling on the labia. Um, but kind of that cottage cheese discharge, that itching, it can really even feel like burning. Um, and that is one that we treat with an antifungal medicine. And there, you can definitely get it over the counter. But if you've never, especially if you've never had a yeast infection diagnosis before, it's one of those things where it's also super important that we, that we first get a diagnosis before assuming that that's what's going on. Um, and so... You know, these are obviously, you know, we talked a little bit about about the probiotics. You know, you mentioned using boric acid that that some individuals that are prone to these sorts of things may benefit from a vaginal probiotic. But there's more research that needs to be done, more standardization about the species, the doses. These are all vaginal suppositories, essentially, right? Correct. We have no data to show that oral probiotics benefit vulvovaginal health. And I think that makes sense because it's a real stretch to think that something you've <laughs> taken by mouth has somehow made it all the way through your GI tract and traversed the vaginal mucosa in enough of an amount to do anything in the vagina. So yes, we are yeah. specifically talking about vaginal probiotics. Wonderful. And also to be clear for our listeners, we're not suggesting that you use other substances as vaginal suppositories. So in our probiotics episode, Jen, you know, you and I were chatting about this. We, you know, talked a little about people who put, you know, supermarket yogurt in their vagina as potentially a probiotic supplement. And obviously that's not a good idea. There are other things in yogurt. It's not a sterile substance. That's just asking for an infection. Is that right? Yeah. Just because you can stick something in there doesn't mean you have to. That's the theme. <laughs> That's a good rule of thumb. Exactly. Um, 
<laughs> exactly. I am someone who has suffered from UTIs um, my whole life. Um, they're super painful and very unpleasant. And I know that there are lots of uh, suggestions floating around the interwebs about how to prevent or treat UTIs. Um, the one I hear most often is uh, that you should pee after sex. Um, is there any truth to that? Is that something that you recommend, mm -hmm. Jen? Yeah. So this might be one where some other gynecologists disagree with me, but I actually hate how much we focus on this and we tell people to pee after sex because I am a big believer in the, you know, we just keep telling people, well, well, it might help the just in case, the just in case. And then you've told people 27 extra things that they should do, um, especially related to sex. I feel like we should only really be recommending things if they work. So my take on it is that if you are not somebody who's prone to UTIs, you, you don't need to. Like, there's really no need. Um, in theory, yes, it can decrease the risk, but really this is more important in people who are prone to UTIs. So, so for somebody like you, I'd be like, yeah, you probably should. Especially people who get postcoital UTIs, so those related to sex. And in those situations, then probably the benefit of getting, you know, telling somebody to get up and pee is, is much outweighs the risk. Is there really a risk to telling somebody to pee after sex? No, but just the psychological, oh, you have to do another thing, or maybe you just wanted to cuddle afterwards. Um, but if you make people feel like they have to run to the bathroom right away, that can be kind of annoying. And the other part of it too is that it's not just about peeing after sex. So if you're somebody who's prone to these sorts of things, you might also require antibiotic suppression or taking antibiotics around the time of sex. So don't just lean on this. So for the normal low risk person, I actually tell them this is one of those things that they can skip. But if they want to do it because it makes them feel better, like that's cool too. That is super interesting. And, and actually just one, this is my my own little personal PSA is someone who I, I was in college and I had a UTI and I went to the pharmacy. I didn't want to take the time, I guess, to make a doctor's appointment. Mm -hmm. And so I went to the pharmacy and I got one of those over the counter, what are they, a AZO? Um, you know, the cranberry. Oh, the cranberry um, things. The, yeah. And what did I do? Uh, all I did was not treat the infection by not seeing my doctor and, and getting the antibiotics that I needed. And my infection got worse, traveled up to my kidneys, mm -hmm. and I developed pyelonephritis, which oh, is a fun. really painful kidney infection that landed me in the hospital. So yeah. I'm sure, Jen, you would tell listeners that if they suspect that they have a UTI, to please go and get yourself diagnosed and properly treated. Yeah, totally. And the good news is that most places, like it's quick, we can do it very quickly. Like I'm not a huge fan of urgent cares when it comes to like ongoing care and those sorts of things, but this is a great example of where you could pop in, give a urine sample, and we can know almost immediately if we should treat. So yes. I was actually in this position a couple years ago. So I had, um, I had surgery, I had colorectal surgery. And after surgery, I developed post-op urinary retention and they straight catheterized me four times before they finally put in a Foley catheter. Um, and so by the time I was able to pee on my own, everything was so irritated and inflamed and I was recovering for, and I was convinced that I had a UTI. And every time I had like the urgency and the, I kept, I kept messaging my colorectal surgeon team and they were like, listen, like if you're really concerned, go to urgent care because, you know, getting back in to see us is going to be a longer process. And thankfully, you know, it wasn't, it was just irritation from the catheter, but I was so convinced that, you know, because there's friction and they're shoving things in and out, I was like, it's going to happen and it's going to happen right now. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, that's, that's where I would absolutely go to an urgent care because, you know, I've had one UTI in my life and it was excruciating yeah, and they I suck. never want to experience it ever <laughs> they again. Do. They're terrible. <laughs> yep. So can we move on to pubic hair? Yes. <laughs> or are we not there I yet? I think, I mean, I feel like these topics are all obviously very related. They're all related to the vagina. But there's all these other, like, underlying, like, health issues and infection risks. And I think pubic hair is obviously something that has been stigmatized. And now we're seeing a little bit less of that. And now there's two camps of thought in the public eye. And, um, you know, so one of one of the myths or one of the, you know, the thoughts is that, you know, we we should be removing pubic hair to keep our vagina clean. But then the other one is, well, you shouldn't be removing pubic hair because that is protecting your vagina. And now you're opening the door for infection. So yeah, let's unpack all of that. Yeah. So ideally we all leave our pubic hair alone, but I get it. Not everybody likes that. And so I used to, I feel like I used to be sort of a, a pubic hair purist where I was like, don't touch it. It's just leave it alone. Why would you? And 
But again, going back to like more public health messaging, like let's talk harm reduction and let's talk about what people are actually going to do. So the truth is that yes, it, it pubic hair has a purpose, which would be another t-shirt that I would wear and wear it very proudly in public and not care what my kids would say, but it really does have a purpose. Um, but it's okay if you want to remove it. Like I get it. And the key here is just to do it in a safe way. So when I say pubic hair has a purpose, it really, you know, that vulvar skin is a bit more delicate than, you know, the skin you have in your arms or your legs or whatever. So that hair really helps to reduce the friction between, you know, your skin and, and your underwear, or your clothing. So that's important. It also helps to kind of wick away and trap bacteria so that they don't get into the vagina and up to the, through the cervix and the, and the uterus and the fallopian tubes. So it forms kind of a barrier. Um, but I get it. People say, well, I don't want it to stick out of my bathing suit or I feel like it traps odor. Um, and so removal is definitely an option. I feel like you said there are two camps, you know, what we tend to see in porn and what people think is the ideal is to be completely prepubescent and hairless going back to purity culture. Thank you very much. Um, but there, you know, other people are like, no, no, I'm going to show my hair and I don't care. And I'm loud and proud. And that's awesome. But if you do want to remove it, there's ways to do it more safely because we do know that, and we've seen this in studies, that any you know, pubic hair removals associated with infection, not only at the skin site, but also increased risk of sexually transmitted infection. Um, so it's just important to know that you know, if you're doing it, please do it because you want to. You want to remove it. Don't do it because somebody is shaming you. So Jen, as someone who has um, endured a Brazilian uh, wax, oh, <laughs> I really yeah. appreciate this. Mm-hmm. They're not pleasant. <laughs> Um, but, but I wanted to talk about that, that last point you made, um, about how, you know, there seems to be some correlation between, uh, removal of, of pubic hair and, um, STIs. Mm -hmm. And so there's one study that I came across, um, this very frequently cited study out of, uh, UCSF Mm -hmm. that assessed the relationship between pubic hair grooming practices, sexual history, and rates of STI. Um, just very briefly, I have tons of notes on this and we'll link to this on our show notes, but it was a study involving over 7,500 people. It was a survey that basically, you know, asked them about their grooming practices, Mm -hmm. grooming injuries, sexual behaviors, and STI history. Um, 84% of women reported a history of grooming compared to 66% of men. Mm -hmm. Um, And then again, they were asked about their um, history of STIs, including herpes, uh, HPV, syphilis, gonorrhea, chlamydia, and HPV. Um, so let me just jump ahead to the results. So of those who reported a history of STIs, 13% said they had, they had at least once had herpes, HPV, syphilis, gonorrhea, chlamydia, HIV. I'm probably, I've never said this word out loud. Molluscum? Molluscum. Is that how you pronounce it? Molluscum. Yes. Okay, sorry. Uh-huh. Or, or pubic lice. Um, extreme groomers were more likely to report an STI history. Um, let's see. STI risk rose with frequency and intensity of grooming. Mm-hmm. And among high frequency and extreme groomers, the survey found that the odds of an STI risk was up to four times as great, uh, particularly for infections involving skin-on-skin contacts, such as herpes and HPV. Um, but I just, I'm putting on my data scientist hat for just one second, the, the, this bothered me a little bit because the survey, it didn't establish any kind of temporality. Mm-hmm. You know, did they get the STI after the, the, you know, the, the grooming or before. And so, you know, it's very hard to make that case for causation, but it does seem like there's something going on here. There's some sort of an association or correlation. No, and I, I totally agree with you. I also think the other part of that is that, okay, was it actually have anything to do with the hair removal? And is it that people who tend to remove their hair more, especially in that extreme category, are they having more sex and just right. more, that more was, opportunities? You know, it's my just like- My first inclination is- <laughs> Oh, yeah. you're grooming more frequently. Maybe you're having a right. lot of sex with right. multiple partners. Exactly. Right. And it's yeah. like when they said, um, you know, birth control being more linked to, um, what was it, H- or cervical cancer, um, when actually those studies are pretty poorly done. But is it just that people who are on birth control are more likely to have sex? So I totally hear you and I agree with you. And I think that that's definitely a drawback of those. It makes sense to me that especially the skin infections like, um, you know, uh, um, herpes, herpes, for example, HPV, yeah. right, that, that you, you could see where there's a biological basis for that. 
But I also think that, yeah, it's not something that's so, I'm like, oh my goodness, you can't at all. Don't remove your hair at all or you're going to get herpes. Like that's definitely a stretch for sure. But I think that is a great example of how to break down a study and talk about how correlation doesn't equal causation, the temporality, and what's actually the mechanism here. So that's why I love you guys, because you guys like actually think about that. <laughs> so would you say that the TLDR here is kind of do whatever makes you happiest, right? This is yeah, like, you know, yeah. whatever you're most comfortable yeah. with. Um, well, and, cool. and I think it's also, you know, and, and Jen, I'm going to ask your advice or your recommendations for our listeners in a second. Um, but I think it's also important if you do choose to groom or remove your hair, you know, if you're doing something that opens the door for other sorts of superficial, like, skin infections? Like, are you using a old, dirty, rusty razor to shave? Like, that's probably not a great idea um, because you could get a staph infection, and that could, you know, obviously spread. That could that could obviously cause a lot of other serious issues completely unrelated to the potential, you know, issues of STIs and things like that. Totally. And I actually, I filmed a really fun YouTube video maybe a month or two ago where it was, like, the five rules that I I break as an OBGYN because I think it's really important, especially for topics like this, to to be real, you know, and to be like, listen, here's here's something I do not want you like I want you to get your HPV vaccine. You know, like that's a you know, that's important. Um, but here's some things where I'm like, yeah, it's ideal. So I actually talk about how I don't follow my own grooming rules when I do shave like and I go through the things in my book. I'm like, here's how you do it the safest. And I break like four out of five and it works for me. And the caveat is that it's not going to work for everybody. And I could get an infection down the line and I'll be like, Jen, why were you so stupid? But, you know, so when I tell people, they're like, well, I really want to wax. OK, here's how to do it safe. Go to a clean place. Make sure they're using new wax every time. You know, don't go to the cheapest place or, you know, like it looks kind of grimy when you go in there or. Um, you know, if you want to trim your hair, maybe use scissors. So yeah, like, are you going to die if you groom your pubic hair? Probably not. You know, there's probably that one person who's a severe diabetic immunocompromised who will get an abscess and will, you know, but in terms of like the vast majority of things, it's really important about risk benefit ratio here and and do it for you, not for your partner who's making you feel bad, you know? So, Jen, what, you know, do you have a recommendation if someone chooses that they want to groom? Is there a preferred method as, a, as you know, an OBGYN that's, you know, associated with the lowest risk of superficial infections or complications or things like that? Or is it really, Yeah. You know? No, I kind of go into, like, you know, least to most. So if you want to trim some, using scissors is great. So avoiding trauma, you know, at the level of the skin. Um, so just... Just if you just wanted to trim with scissors around the edges, that would be the least risky one. And then if it next would be shaving and, you know, going from least to most in terms of using a single razor and using a new one every time and not using scented creams and lotions and fragrances. Um, and then in terms of more extreme things like waxing or laser, um, you know, testing small areas, going to reputable places. And when it comes to laser, like, my goodness, go to somebody who is board certified and this is what they do. Do not go to some random place where they, you know, they, they say that they know what they're doing, but you know, you can, you can really damage the skin and, and do harm if you're not really certified in this. So, yeah. So I've seen it. I, it, it, it scares me to think about, but obviously I assume you don't recommend chemical depilatory. Oh yes. There. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. No, please, please don't. And, um, there was um, there was a trend on TikTok. This was actually like when I just started um, magic shave powder, which is meant to be used for the face. And people were using it on their vulva and they were getting like burns and it's, it's bad. So, yeah, please, please. No, no nair, no magic shave powder. Those are chemical caustic substances on the vulva. Like, please, please don't use that. So I'm so glad you brought that up because I've completely blocked that out of my <laughs> out of my mind. <laughs> So Jen, I was going to say, if we uh, if we all get matching pubic hair has a purpose uh, t-shirt, will, will will you rock that with you, us? <laughs> like, do you even need to ask? Do you even? <laughs> oh my god! You, you know what? And then so I'll do much. a whole I'll do a whole YouTube video just on like pubic hair management, oh, and I bet you it'll get a that. ton of views because my channel is now. 67% men, 50% of whom who are over the age of 50, and they love that shit. They eat it up. So wow. I don't know why. Wild to me. Topic for another day, but absolutely I would. 
that is so awesome. Jen, you are absolutely just blown our minds today. You're so amazing as if we could love you anymore. Um, You're just the way you, um, you know, convey this information in such an approachable, understandable way. It's just been such a breath of fresh air. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me and for everything you do. You are you are doing the Lord's work in science. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Ditto. Ditto. Now, Jen, before we wrap up, do you have anything else that you kind of want to leave our listeners with before before we wrap up the vaginal health segment? Yeah, I would just say if anything in here, you know, you've you've realized this is the first time you're hearing it or you feel guilt or shame for not knowing it. Please don't, because our education system has failed you. And even our healthcare system, because a lot of times we don't talk about these specific things, has failed you. So it is okay if you've, you know, you've got that summer's eve in your cabinet. Um, just take this new information in, take what you want, leave what, leave what you don't, and and just know that there we all do better when we shame ourselves and each other less. Love that. So just to give a high level summary. Dr. Jen Lincoln, amazing board certified OBGYN, author of Let's Talk About Down There, has basically blown open the lid about vaginal health. You don't need to clean your vagina. You don't need to use a yoni egg. You don't need to steam it. You don't need to detox it. It's a self-cleaning oven. It does what it does. It does what it does well. Um, Unless you have serious medical issues, of course, in that case, consult your gynecologist. Um, As far as grooming, pubic hair has a purpose, but if you feel comfortable removing it or grooming it, do so safely. Um, Thank you so much, Jen, for joining us today. And thank you to all of our listeners. We hope you learned a thing or two. And if you like our pod, please share with your friends and family and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And as just mentioned at the beginning of our episode, if you want even more Unbiased Science, check out our Substack subscription. Um, We are going to be posting content, extended content there on a daily basis and regularly respond to questions and comments for subscribers. So you'll have a direct line to me and Jess, and you'll also have access to our private Facebook group and our monthly live Q&As. You can check out our Substack at theunbiasedscipod.substack.com. Next episode, we are going to tackle another hot area of misconception, adrenal fatigue. We will continue to provide updates on COVID-19 and other topics on our social media accounts, so be sure to follow us there on Instagram and Facebook at unbiasedscipod. Also, be sure to follow Dr. Jen Lincoln. She is at Dr. Jennifer Lincoln. Catch you next time on the pod, your trusted source for no nonsense, just science. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist.